Welcome to Change Now. Yes, because we need to change now. Now is when your impact story starts. Listen, get inspired by visionary change makers, and be part of the change. We find ourselves in a finite world, demanding our immediate attention. In our first episode, Kate Raworth presented her perspective on integrating planetary boundaries into the business world. Today, we embark on a journey to explore the paths leading to a life for all that aligns with our planet's limits. Join us as we converse with Sandrine Dixon de Clev, author and co-president of the Club of Rome. So I am the first female co-president of the Club of Rome, an organization which I don't know if all of you know, but we're the first to publish the limits to growth in uh, 1972. It's an organization that was, thank you. And we have some of our incredible members here, including Kate Rayworth and Hunter Lovins, who was actually mentioned as well. Why is that important? And that's the big elephant that's still in the room, because we actually haven't talked about the fundamental link to growth. The limits to growth was about the fact that with exponential population growth, with the incredible impact that people were having on natural resources, we needed to put together an understanding of when we would start to see key tipping points. And this was done by some MIT researchers, led by an incredible woman and a couple, actually, so Dana Meadows and Dennis Meadows and their researchers, looking at how that juxtaposition of continued population growth with the demand on resources would start to hit a wall, literally. I think what's most important from that report is millions of copies were sold, Millions of people's lives were changed. Uh, during our 50th anniversary, we spoke to so many people who told us it is because of the limits to growth that I actually started to question my relationship with the economy. It has guided me through my career, etc. But not enough governments were ready to listen to the fact that we needed to shift our patterns of growth yep. and start to address new indicators and not be so fixated on productivity and GDP. And here we are now with some major tipping points, a poly crisis which is upon us. And as we've already heard, we're at 1.2 degrees. We will only continue to warm the planet and that will continue to have a series of climate impacts which are going to have direct impacts on all of us. And I think one of the most important quotes, by the way, coming from the former chair of the Trade Union Confederation at the international level, Sharon Burroughs, and I would like to say this to all industrialists, to all trade unionists, there are no jobs on a dead planet. There is no industry on a dead planet. None of us yep. will be able to survive. The planet will be fine without us. Yeah. But we will become either, unfortunately, extinct or refugees, all of us. I mean, think about that. The potential survival of all of us is really at stake. Now, that seems like a doomsday scenario, and that is the big elephant in the room. And let's talk about, hopefully, together, some of the possible solutions, because there are some, and it goes far beyond the technology or the individual industries that we've learned of 
today, unfortunately, it has to be much more collective. So, th so you, you set me up beautifully for my, ne my next question or thought. You know, it, it's around, I mean, I think what we're hearing about a lot, particularly in a kind of corporate scenario more broadly than what we've been hearing about today, but it's, it feels a bit more like it's going to be iterative and we can sort of do the same thing, but we can change and, you know, we're going to be fine. But we actually, need to build the plane while we fly. I think you're, yeah, so yeah. I think what you're, what you're advocating is a bit more of a, a, a reset and like a total reset. And, and what, how do you see the solutions? And, how, and is that, you know, is that possible? Is it, you know, can we get everyone together and change or...? So Jane Goodall says we're the most intelligent species, but we're definitely not the wisest. And I think that is so true, because we have not optimized our intelligence, our innovative capacity. And innovation is not just about industrial innovation or technological innovation. Innovation is about the human spirit. It's about how we can actually govern ourselves, put in place the right economic models that go back to what is most essential. I mean, last week we were at the Beyond Growth Conference, many of us, gathering the most incredible economists from across the globe, talking about what are the different models, including Kate's Donut and other models. And we all came to the simple conclusion, as does our book, by the way, that is now building on the limits to growth recently, that we can create a well-being society, okay. that we can have a universal basic dividend, that we can grow differently. What I'm really fascinated by is that governments continue to say, including this government, by the way, because we've talked about the need from Hakim of having regulation, Macron is saying, uh-uh, stop the regulation. So if we're going to change now, write a letter to Macron, by the way, because that is the number one action that we could do today. Okay. Is to tell him, regulation, good regulation makes sense. We need to regulate for the right things. That means putting in place taxation schemes that tax the rich, redistributing the wealth, putting in place universal basic dividend. The way in which we can actually put forward the solutions and most importantly, take out the perversities in the market. Why do we continue to subsidize industrial agriculture? And again, by the way, reality check today, the European People's Party across Europe, and Macron is supporting this, are protesting against all of our new laws from the European Green Deal, the farm to fork law, saying that farmers are going to get hit. Most of the farmers are already shifting towards regenerative practices, and we know that. Most farmers are seeing that soil degradation, especially in Italy and Spain, if they're not getting flooded out, they're getting dried out, and they can no longer actually farm. The only reason why the EPP is complaining about the nature law is because it actually starts to put requirements on pesticides and industrial farming techniques. That is not helping the little man or the little woman or the farmer. That is actually going straight into the pockets of industrial agriculture. So with that, would, um, yeah. I told you it was going to be good. So, um, look, so I'm, I'm just going to try and play that back to you. So... Would I be right to, to think that big industrial companies who are making a fortune out of pesticides are effectively putting pressure on politicians not to put the regulation in that we need? Absolutely. That's cynical. Abs and that is happening right um, now. Okay. That's why I think, really, I mean, we are at change now. Change now means open up our eyes and smell the roses. Understand that we are all here collectively speaking to the converted. 
But the fact of the matter is that outside, in the corridors of power, we're getting a huge backlash. And I'm very worried. We knew last week at the Beyond Growth Conference that certain politicians couldn't actually speak truth to power and that they were being told that they would get in trouble if they did, even if it was a multi-party conference. We know that most of our leaders, unfortunately, are starting to get nervous. They're using the fear-mongering and they're using the fact that this is going to be bad for the citizen yep. as an excuse to protect business. We have the capacity to work with business. There are brave business leaders that are ready to be ambitious. We have many plans at the European level, and we've already actually, with the European Commission, put forward these plans through the Green Deal, yep. through Fit for 55, and actually through other proposals, including what we call Industry 5.0. So, so there, is, there is hope and there is optimism, but it's, we've got to really, really push, and it's very, very urgent, is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, my, my background shows that there's luckily hope and optimism. I have worked to build bridges between the private sector and policymakers, but I am starting to get impatient. Yeah. I'm starting to get impatient because, you know, many things have been said today and I've been actually drawing all kinds of circles. There is the human factor. We're all human beings and we need to remind ourselves that the human factor exists in all corporations. But the problem is, is that we need to steer those corporations in a completely different way. So here are a few facts. 98% of our economy at the European level is driven by SMEs. Yep. Who do you think drives the legislation? It is sure not the SMEs. We're not protecting SMEs. Number two, we don't have a proper wealth tax. If you have Warren Buffett telling you that his housekeeper is paying more tax than he is, there is a problem. Norway has just put in place a wealth tax and the wealthiest Norwegians have left the country. We have to hold our governments accountable. Wealth distribution is not a communistic plot. It is the way in which we maintain stability and security in our economy at a time when actually we see windfall profits of the largest oil and gas sectors on top of the back of energy poverty, mobility poverty, and inflationary effects. This is the first generation that's going to make less than its parents. It is the first generation that has the highest level of mental illness and suicide rates. It's not about we are protecting the planet for the next generation. It's we are creating a better world. Yeah. Our systems are broken, kaput. <clears throat> Let's start to rebuild them into something that goes back to what is most essential. I mean, even Bob Kennedy, I'm sorry, I'm on a rampage now. Good. <laughs> Bob Kennedy <laughs> said to us in 1968 in his famous speech where he was going to actually announce his election campaign to be president, we do not measure that which is most essential. We have been through the largest pandemic that we have ever seen in our generation. What did it teach us? That we wanted to protect our loved ones. Apart from those that wanted to go on a rampage and get toilet paper and order things online, most of us wanted to make sure that we were all safe. Most of us wanted to actually respect the rules for the collective good. There was solidarity. There were so many beautiful, innovative processes that were developed to enable us to function during this time of real fear for our lives. 
Can we please tap into that subconsciousness and remind our policymakers that transformation is absolutely feasible, that we can innovate for the better good of people, planet, and prosperity, not for power, profit, and patriarchy? So, so I mean, amazing. And, and um, just in terms of how we, because we, we've only got like a few minutes le le left in this, what do, we, what do we do, us? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, there's lots of people who are not doing very much, but, but what, because it's a bit like, oh my God, this is huge. And you know, we, we support you, first thing. But what do we do when we leave this, and this, this event, and, and how, how do we kind of help push that change? Do you have any kind of, anything you want to sort of share and yeah. get us to do, apart from so, write to Macron? So <laughs> Well, we need to write to Michael, and we need to write to a lot of yeah, others. Yeah. But I mean, part of that is this book, Earth for All, a survival guide for humanity. It's what allows, I, I'm hoping, um, many of us to understand that there is a feasible Earth for All. We talk about five key turnarounds that we need to f really address poverty, inequality, empowerment, food and energy. And we give solutions for all of those five turnarounds. And the important thing is that we need to embody that narrative, all of us. Don't just support me. Go out and start to talk about the narrative that there is an earth for all. And here's what it looks like. Universal basic dividend. The fact that actually 75% of G20 citizens, G20 citizens want a well-being economy. The fact that actually wealth distribution is no longer functioning or even enabling well-being. Our well-being index shows that well-being is decreasing as countries are getting wealthier on the backs of the poorest of the society. So, all of these narratives have to be integrated in our conversations. But in addition to that, yes, clearly, we need to consume less. And we saw from the En-ROADS data, which, by the way, I've used before with policymakers and industry. I used to work with the oil and gas sector. I mean, I, you know, I was an advisor for the oil and gas sector to make them greener. But still, the fact of the matter is that in using En-ROADS, the greatest fallacy that we are all being sold right now is that technology is going to solve us and all we need to do is invest in renewables. That is utter bullshit. And I really want to call it out because if we continue to burn fossil energy at the rate that we are burning it, it doesn't matter how much we invest in renewables. We will not reduce our impact. That is hard. So what do we need? Yes, we need to shift to other types of energy sources, and we need to do it now. And luckily now it's at price parity and we can do it. Secondly, we need to offer mobility for people to get from A to B, so that actually trains become sexy again, so that actually they're fast and furious and they make us happy to get into a train and go to a train station where you actually want to be aggressed, but it's a wonderful place, thriving culturally, where you can actually engage with people. We need to make sure that all house owners understand the benefits for them of having clean homes and efficient homes. We have got EIB loans, that's the European Investment Bank, who is ready to give smallholder loans across most cities. We've got city mayors that are ready to change, but we do need the regulation. We need the signals coming from nation states. And so, as you leave this incredible space, Please, please, please hold your leaders accountable. Please vote in the European elections and the next democratic elections which we are having. Because if we continue, we will have absolute instability. 
and we will also have growing populism. The fear-mongering is really growing, and yet there is hope. Last point. I am a grandchild of an Auschwitz survivor. I am the grandchild of the first civil, French civil servant in the European Commission. I believe that we can build without having to build from war. Please don't let us get in a situation where we have to be in a third world war before we finally decide to lift ourselves from the bootstops and actually do something. We need to do it now. We need to all embrace activism in a way which is pragmatic and logical, not as if it's the antithesis of a good life for all. Amazing. What do I say? <clears throat> So I, I, knew, um, I knew this was going to be amazing, and Sandrine, you haven't disappointed. You, you closed this session better than I can. Thank you all for staying with us. Amazing to see you. Enjoy your time. Sandrine, thank you. <laughs>